Welcome back to Texas Podcast and Blast, and here we are halfway through the season number one. I hope you've enjoyed all the topics, and as we've committed, we're trying to get a good diversity of outdoor topics that will kind of center around our area of Matagorda County, but we've already reached as far as Mozambique, Africa, and we plan on getting out in different places. And today, we're going we're gonna to lay down the fishing rods, and we're going to talk about what just might be one of the biggest issues in Texas wildlife and I think it's been there longer than what many of us want to admit that it's been here. But today I have Dr. Aaron Sumrall, who is a, one of our local county extension agents here in Matagorda County. And uh, Aaron, it's good to have you on today. Yes, sir, Matt. It's good to be here. And, you know, uh, Aaron is another Aggie PhD. I got to plug that, uh, you know, having an undergrad from there. But what I really want us to get into today is you're doing a, a very large amount of work in our wild hog issue in the state of texas right right it's one of those things that just never ends it's uh it's kind of the snowball yeah how long when did you start digging into this pig problem well i think it's one of those things that kind of goes back to even in high school it's one of the ag mechanics projects we started out with whenever you're a a freshman and welder and make a catch gate and start trying to catch a pig or two here or there for sausage and it's just it kind of got from that point on to to where you really start identifying where this is not just a novelty kind of thing it's something that's uh impactive and and uh, and and it's not just a, a rule problem anymore right and and as you and i visited before you did your undergrad and your master's at sam houston state right and then you finished up your phd there at a&m but you knew going into your phd you said you were looking for something in wildlife that you could really focus on and the wild hog just really rose to the top for you right and and that's something i think it was a pretty easy decision whenever we got to thinking about that is that that yeah there's uh it's it's not one of those glamorous species like you'd find with your white-tailed deer your your real grand turkeys or your bob white quail or any of those na- those things like that but what i wanted to do is something that was i guess a little off par i don't think i've ever been accused of being on par but <laughs> but whenever you start thinking about some of those research focuses and topics is that where can you where can you get your biggest bang for your buck or where can you make mm-hmm. a, a a difference maybe across different spectrums and whenever we start thinking about a species that touches multiple facets of everybody's life regardless what that is and it doesn't matter if you pick up a fishing rod every day for work or if you go out and you you put the spurs on and you work cows or if you get out there and kick the dirt off your boots to crawl in the tractor and and start farming some of this land or just try uh, to get a 16 foot putt to sink on the back that's it yeah yeah that's that's something that we're seeing that to be an issue as well but it it, one of those the, the the common thread among all those different uh, components there, those different focus areas with pigs. I yeah. mean, it's something that, that transects everyone with regard to damage. So I thought it was a pretty obvious need in the state. Well, and if you haven't heard recently some of the updated research in the last few years, you know, today we're recording in this morning, uh, Aaron was actually working with a television broadcast that comes out of South Korea because they have a growing hog problem. And one thing they're doing is trying to look in the world. Who else has a hog problem? And they saw Texas as one of the epicenters. So when another country is looking at our state and saying, hey, y'all are having to deal with these things, they wanted to come and hear some of the, the measures we're taking. But can you give everybody just a current snapshot of the damage and the impact to economy that we know we're seeing. And I know these are gonna be conservative numbers because there's no way to just track every dollar Sure. That hogs cost us. Sure. Yeah, and, and that real quickly, as far as the South Korean uh, uh, interest this morning was was something I think is is 
worth mentioning, not just for South Korea, but for the globe. I mean, sure. Texas and the United States agriculture is definitely the bread, the bread basket for the planet. So mm -hmm. we, we now know there's a growing um, presence of what, what people are seeing happening in, in, the, in the United States and specifically Texas with regards to pigs uh, in our agriculture lands, in our wild lands, in our, in our waterways and so forth. So what that situation was this morning that they were wanting to get a little more information on was that wild pigs are becoming a much more um, negative species in, mm -hmm. in South Korea uh, with South Korea's economy doing well and they're, they're going in a lot of the same ways that we have gone for decades and, and tracking more to that urban setting than the a, than sprawling, a the, the sprawling, sprawl, urban the sprawl setting. In, that, in, in South Korea is somewhat mimicking what we've seen here in Texas as that urban sprawl spreads mm -hmm. out into some of those traditional agriculture wild lands like we've seen in the Katy Prairie. So. Well, and, and you know, we've spoken of this on previous podcasts. You know, there are neighborhoods sitting out there on the Katy Prairie that I used to guide duck hunts on 20 right, years ago. Right, right. Well, it's silly to think that other species are not impacted like that as well. Just, you know, the, the, the waterfowl have been affected, the white-tailed deer have been affected, and the hogs have been impacted as well. They just don't run away as quick sometimes. That's it, yeah. And that's when whenever you move into their bedroom, they're not going to move out of yours. Yeah. So, I mean, that's something that, that once they've established a home, uh, they're a little bit more hard-headed about trying to move out of that area. So that's one of the areas that we see with with the most, um, I guess, emerging economic impact stat, stat that we have is that those those uh, expansions going into those urban, those rural areas with uh, housing developments, new golf courses, right. and things of that nature that's going in. Uh, I get calls all over the state and all over the, the, the country that people are having issues with pigs that they claim were never here until we bought the first house in the subdivision. Right. Well, that's something that that might be what the perceptions were. Well, that's a myth. Exactly. The pigs were there. So what's happened is now they were making their living basically on that land, and now there's a new. Uh, food availability that's there. They've altered behavior, so they're just trying to adapt to what's there. Mm -hmm. The problem is, is that the pig was never supposed to be there in the first place. And I think that kind of gets back to where, uh, where, where we kick this thing off at is where is the problem come from? Right. Where is historically. it going to historically and so forth? So, I mean, the, the pigs have been with us regardless of what research you want to look at, probably 500 years uh, in, in North America. Mm -hmm. So, obviously, the, the records start on the East Coast and they start moving through, the, like the Caribbean and, and, and well, Florida. That's so. where the migration took right. place and that's so the way we yeah. should expect the the wildlife and the livestock to come with them right and that's what happened and we can find historical record and uh, and clerk reports and whatnot at the county courthouses on the eastern side of the state of texas in 1670 1675 now i'm just gonna i'm gonna area. pause right there and i promise you that everyone who listens to this podcast that's brand new information you never thought to go look in an east well, texas courthouse the, that, to it. see when the hawk showed up yeah so. and that's what you can then that's the pretty cool thing about it is that that whenever you do um in-depth research on a, on a focused topic, regardless of what that focused topic is, you really have to get to know that uh, from its inception. It doesn't matter what that focus is. If it's, right. if it's a corn crop or if it's a hay field, it's still you have to yeah, know what and, that is. And the historical data that we're able to retrieve always tells more to the story than we Absolutely. originally assumed was Absolutely. part of Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And so the hogs have been around for 500 years. They've expanded in places. They've been moved into places. What's our, our current dollar estimate that you and I were talking about? I want you to just clarify that for folks, just to put a tangible understanding on the damage 
Well, damage obviously is going to be the da the dollar damage anyway is going to be obviously associated with population. Right. Uh, so they that start with the the population side of things is whenever we started doing some some pretty extensive research on this um, several years ago, quite a few years ago. We couldn't find a, a dependable population estimate in the state of Texas. It varied from three quarters of a million to five or six million. You're talking about people or pigs? Pigs. Okay. So that in that in that the last tangible, I guess, estimation was in the mid 1970s. So by the time we started on this in early 2000s, um, it was not known what we had. So we started looking at population densities and how we could put a, mo a, a population model together. And, and a lot of this, this pig issue was not on the forefront of most minds where you would think it would be. So it took a lot of time to find data sets that we could replicate in order to make sure that we had a model that was dependable. Well, anyway, the long story so or the, the short of that. The traceable populations, you did have some information from the 70s and then it seemed to kind of It was fall avoided, off. yeah. And just from a scientific standpoint, remind our listeners that a mama pig can throw how much offspring in a Sure, you bet. Year. Yeah. And that's the, the just to it, see the multiplication. Well, factor. and that's one of those things I'm glad you brought that up because that's something that, that we need to think about where we get our information from. Uh, because I mean obviously ratings sell TV time. Yep. Uh, so one of the things that we hear that's just pseudoscience all over the place is that a, at a wild pig, she's going to have three litters a year, and there's going to be 12 in each litter. Uh, she's going to start having pigs whenever she's six months of age, mm -hmm. and yada, yada, yada. Uh, well, the bottom line is, is what we teach our 4-H and FFA kids, the gestation on a pig is three months, three weeks, and three days, which is 115 days. Physiologically, that's incapable of having those three litters a year. It right. just will not happen. Litter size is going to range somewhere to about six pigs, something like that. Yeah. Um, but the big driving force on reproduction is going to be nutrition. Mm -hmm. Now, can a, can a little gilt breed whenever she's six months of age? Sure she can. Um, but what that's going to be an indicator of is, is habitat health. If the habitat out there is perfectly healthy and if things are going the way they're supposed to be, then she is going to be more reproductively right. sound at an earlier age. So the, the, the so textbook numbers have to be met with textbook conditions. Exactly. So, And what will happen, though, that pretty much what you can take to the bank on pigs, though, is that by the time that guilt reaches her first birthday, or now a new sow reaches her first birthday, she'll probably have her first litter of pigs weaned. So the concern is, is that if she can have her first litter of pigs weaned at her first birthday with a litter size of just average six, three of those are likely girls, three of those are likely little boys. Sure. So then you take those three little new daughters that are on the landscape mm -hmm. and you look another year into the future, now we have 18 more pigs right. and nine more little girls. So yeah, it, it's exponential. It's, a, it's an infinitive pyramid scheme. It is that just doesn't have an end right. to it. And the, and the spooky thing is, is we did get that, that model to really start performing at some high level of, of, of publishable research, which mm -hmm. it was published, is that not only do we have an unbelievably high population in pigs in the state of Texas, um, the population trends showed it in five-year increments that population was increasing by 25%. Wow. So what we started with in about 2010 with the first really dependable population estimate in the state of Texas was about 3.6 million. Now, to put that into context, in 2010, we had about 4 million deer in the state of Texas. Okay. So we weren't far off from the deer population in the state of Texas with pigs. So 
what we looked at or what that model says is that right now as of 2021 we're quite likely over five million pigs in the state of texas okay now with hunter trends being what they are and there's fewer hunters that are being recruited into the the hunt um, we now have about five and a half million deer in the state of texas so deer have gone up but the pigs are right there as well now we say well okay well why are we not focusing more on making sure that our deer stay in, in the numbers that they are because pigs haven't have matched the, the growth well hold on a minute on that is that every year year in and year out people have the opportunity to remove pigs off the landscape at will 12 months out of the year right so we could very well like specifically in Matagorda County we can every year remove as many as 10,000 or so pigs out of Matagorda County and we're not dropping the population there is no way that we can sustainably remove 10,000 deer out of the population in Matagorda County or we wouldn't no. have a deer left. No, look at that. So, that, I mean, and there's there's already a, a good amount of research and work, and I'm not saying I'm for or against them, and I'm not saying if you should be either way, but we have antler restrictions. We have right. limited does. We have doe seasons. Right. A lot of restrictions have been put on the, the, the deer population, and I trust that the research that brought that to the table is is dependable right but you know this 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 hog problem everybody listening there's a good chance they've been on a deer lease yeah they've had a chance they might have spotlighted them that's what i did growing up with kids me and local guys here we had permission to the property and we'd go out and uh, a good night we'd kill five or six and that was mostly bolt action rifles and shotguns because the the semi-auto uh, ars and stuff weren't exactly on our right. hands yet but we haven't done a great job of just informing the public of the dollar amount impact of what this thing costs sure. us each year. And you shared some numbers from, what was it, 2018, the last study that was done in, in, a, in a healthy way? Yeah, and that's something that, that right now we, we know that we're, we're in that 5 million plus on, on the number of pigs in the state. Um, Definitely Texas carries the lion's share as far as population is concerned. We also carry the lion's share as far as the, the, the total national uh, loss, economic loss right. in pigs. Uh, annually, it's obviously it's going to depend on commodity and so mm -hmm. forth, but we, we pretty much can, can take it to the bank on there uh, that we're going to have about a two, two plus billion dollar loss on the national, uh, on scale. The national scale with about a half a billion of that coming from the state of Texas. Wow. Well, that's direct loss on the farm. Sure. Well, the thing that we definitely need to bring to the public's attention is that that's not solely put on the shoulders of the farmers, the ranchers, the land managers, okay? That trickle-down effect there, a trickle-laterally effect, if you right. want to call it that, is going to be witnessed on the grocery store shelf. Right. So now if you have a sounder of pigs go out there and tear up a, a, a grazing pasture that once was able to hold, hold 100 head of cattle, well... That's probably 90 head, 85 head of calves that come off of there. Well, once that's, that's destroyed um, to the point that it's going to reduce productivity, that rancher only has the option of removing animals from there. Right. Well, that's less animals making it to the shelf. Well, your beef prices go up, your so forth and so supply goes down, and, and we're already seeing, we're seeing yes. some moves right now currently. In June two, you know, 2021, there's some things going on in the meat markets where economies still play out. Right. And so we're looking at a, a $500 million conservative estimate. And as you and I were talking earlier, that doesn't include the number of car damages, the number right. of golf course uh, interferences, the number of all the other hog-related right. issues. 
Well, then that's one of the spooky up. things there that whenever we started looking for data sets to start plugging into these models and seeing where we where we were he heading with this population is is that those insurance claims mm -hmm. uh, it would be written in as a wildlife interaction. It didn't specify species, even if they would have known what the species was. So you couldn't track it. You back couldn't to track a specific it exactly. Species. So now, if you are in one of those areas that are extremely high populations where it can be documented, some agencies will start tracking now those those encounters and what the species may be. So it's almost like sending your kid to college whenever they go from a rural area to an urban area and the, the insurance premiums go up just because of where they're at. Well, right. it's gonna go back the other way now right. to the rural side of things right. whenever you're in a rural area with an extremely high probability of, of having a negative occurrence or, or a visit with a pig on a, on a highway, mm -hmm. your, your premiums may go up. Wow. Uh, so the same thing on crop damage with our with our farmers and ranchers. If they have to turn in a crop loss, uh, they want to know why it was a loss. What was the cause of the loss? Well, if it's if it's uh, an annual or a habitual problem that's associated with pigs, well, what's the premium going to do there? Right. Uh, and then in the itch, in the instance where there's too many claims affiliated with the same species, are they even going to be able to get a, a policy to be able to to provide somewhat of a net there in the future? So that's something that we we. We don't know the capacities yet fully. We know that it's a bad situation, but, but where will this end up being unless we can get a societal response, a societal right. and cultural buy-in to right. understanding that pigs, no matter how you want to play this thing, are negative on the, on the environment, on social, cultural things, and so forth. You mentioned the, 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 the golf courses. Yep. Uh, damaged putting greens aren't cheap. They're nope. a highly a highly effective and efficient and, prolific location. And, and golf courses tend to deal with a uh, more affluent customer Absolutely. base. Absolutely. And they get quite frustrated because they spent some pretty good dollars to put on that green. And when it's damaged by a pig, right. there's a number of folks that are upset about that. Well, and see, and that's one thing. Obviously, the, the, the putt's not going to fall the way you want it to, but to get those greens back to the way that you want oh, that just the restoration fall, cost. Just the restoration cost. Who's going to pick up that restoration cost? Right. Every soul that goes down and puts their money on the barrel head for a, putt, mm. uh, for a green fee yep. or for a, for a, um, uh, an opportunity it's, just to play golf on that place. You know, I, it's not too crazy to think that in, in some of these instances you could see a surcharge. Sure. You know, like, and, and I'm not saying that, that this is where it's going, but the impact could be a, well, that's going to be $5 more. Well, I think it's going to be something that if it's not already in the budgets for a lot of these groundskeepers, they, they, they're they going to start putting to. a line item in there that's sure. going to have to be budgeted in for, uh, for, for damage restorations and so forth. So that money's going to have to come from somewhere. And that's one of your indirect costs. It may not have been your own personal golf course, but the opportunity mm -hmm. to play there and keep it maintained, Especially you're going to pay increased fees. Where the municipality may own the golf course. Right. Or, you know, one of the government entities, because right. that's paid by the taxpayer. Right. Well, and see, another thing, too, Matt, what we need to think about here with Matagorda County is obviously we're in a recreation mecca on the right. Texas coast. So uh, we do see a huge influx of uh, in, into our county on the economic side of things coming from people that are here to hunt, to fish, mm -hmm. to go birding, uh, mm -hmm. to the beach, so forth and so on. And and that's a, uh, a, a I guess, a, a pulse to our economy that we can't afford to compromise. No. And, and whenever we start thinking about pigs and where this is going to take – 
rural counties that may be in a similar setting of Matagorda, or or it could be anywhere in the in the United States that they have a niche basically in the right. economic market. Um, whenever we think about pigs, okay, normally this time of year we're not measuring rain in the feet around here. Yeah, we've got but we've already started to dry out, and it's raining again. Right. So what what we need to think about here is normally in this time of the year it's a lot hotter. It's mm -hmm. a lot drier, and those pigs are starting to concentrate into some of what is what what Matagorda County is founded on, and that's some of our wetland areas and our pristine estuaries and things of that nature. Well, so, and, and, and the three the three direct industries, without I mean, just getting straight to the chase, is our fishing guys and our commercial fishing, our duck hunting, which I'm pretty interested in being one that guides duck hunts. Right, and third, just the bird watching and Audubon work done, Matagorda is the number one birding center in the state of Texas. In the world. In the world. Yes. And so whenever we see the degradation of the land and the negative impacts that it has on those wetlands, we see a significant concern. And so we're going we're gonna to pause right there. When we come right back, I want to talk about just some of that, that marshland that, that we've talked about, how hogs directly impact that, just to kind of help people get an idea of the direct, in, you know, the direct dangers that are involved here. Sure. Hold on, and thanks for joining us, and we'll be right back. Well, you've heard me talk on this podcast about our title sponsor, Weicker Realtors, out of Bryan College Station, and here we are with Warren Green, the leader of that team, and uh, it's good to finally have you on, Warren. Glad we could work this out. Uh, but, you know, I just want Warren to kind of give us a, a quick snapshot of why investment property on the coast works. So if you remember the way that we got into investment property, me and Matt started out together. Yeah. Uh, me, him, and my brother. Our first time going down to Rockport to buy a property, we had never, didn't know anything about properties down there. And the first, you remember the first one we looked at? Yeah, it had like 17 dogs in the yard. Right, yeah. The lady next door was a chihuahua breeder. Yeah. So we get down there, and the house was looked nice enough for what we were looking for at the time. Uh, but the lady next door had a whole backyard full of chihuahuas. <laughs> and so we decided to nix that one at the time. This was before you could get stuff on your phone uh, with the internet. So we were driving around. I think we went to a real estate shop and picked up some flyers. I think we did. Yeah. And then found an old house, not an old house, but an older house. In a different neighborhood. Well, same neighborhood, other side of the highway. That's right, that's right. Which, that was one thing, when you talk about you don't know what you don't know, I did not realize the difference in the two sides of the highway on that right. one. And that difference, long term, probably made a fifty dollars or $60,000 difference on the value of the house. Wow. Didn't know that at the time. But, so yeah, we drove around, we ended up finding a house that was sort of finished, um, well, if I recall correctly, he was in the middle of remodeling it due to some health issues with his wife. And so we picked it up kind of mid-remodel. It had no yeah. floor in it. 
Uh, we redid the whole kitchen. Yeah, no floors, bad cabinets. And if you remember the bathtub where he had the, the spigot coming out of the wrong hole, so there, <laughs> yeah. was, there was just a hole in the bathtub where the spigot was supposed to be. Yeah, we didn't realize that we were quickly going to become plumbers and painters and everything else at one time. Yeah. And, but it, when we purchased that one, we were not intending on renting it out. No, had no intentions of renting it out. There were three of us splitting a, what was it, $63,000 house at the time, I believe. <laughs> this a, is early 2000s. It was, it was a couple hundred bucks a piece a month. Yeah, and, I think it's two fifty a month <laughs> and a, a piece. Few, and a few two-by-fours here and there. Yeah. So that was the plan. We were not going to rent it out. And then you decided to go back to school. Sure. So I stepped and, out, of the, out of the equation. Yeah. So, so you got out, and then that left me and my brother. Right. And just kind of looking at it, and again, it was not an expensive house, but for the time in our life, it was, you know, a few hundred dollars a month was a lot. And so started looking at, all right, how am I going to help cover the cost of this? Because I started having kids at the same, around that time. And whereas I was going down there a couple of times a month, now I'm only going down once, you know, once a month, Mm -hmm. once every two months, those sort of things. And so uh, this is... this is a few years later, and that's kind of when uh, VRBO or Verbo, depending on how you want to say it, right. came on the market and just kind of got into it from there. Yeah. And, and it, realized that there was good money to be made in renting out my, my fishing house as a, as a vacation rental. Sure. And, and what you're saying is the house ended up being available more often whenever life's changed and kids got involved. Mm-hmm. And so you weren't making the trip down there, and you said, well, Hey, if we're not using it every weekend, there's here people that want to use it for the same purpose that we originally bought the house, a good fishing house down in the Rockport area. And so through the online options, you just quickly got into the rental market. Right. Yeah. You know, it's just sitting there and, you know, I'm kind of, I'm in the real estate business and I don't like real estate that just sits there not making any money when it has the potential. And so just I started off listening on a couple of the fishing websites and then from there got into some of the other stuff and just kind of grew over the years to a point where I was doing really, really well with it. And in fact, I was doing more than covering my costs. Now, some of that was because we had bought the house so cheap. Right. Um, but the rentals then weren't what they are now either. Sure. And so it was, a, it was a great way to basically have a, for lack of a better term, a free fishing house, you know, a house I could go down to when I wanted to go to the coast that wasn't costing me anything. Mm-hmm. And so if you're one of those that gets down to the coast and you wondered, you know, what is the value? What is the investment potential in a property? Give Weikert Realtors a call, especially in that Rockport area, because the story, just like ours, we bought it and intended to use it just for ourselves. Market change, situation change, renters came into play and it's turned into not only a break even but a profitable wise choice that Warren's grown the business there in Rockport and actually now offices and and serves that area so if you're looking at investment uh, property especially in that Rockport area give Wycott Realtors a call and Warren and his team can definitely take care of you. Well, carrying on in our conversation about our, our wild hog situation in the state of Texas, you know, I was telling Aaron uh, just a few minutes ago this story. When I moved to southwest Oklahoma back in 2006, you know, I had uh, grown up down here uh, on the Texas coast, had hunted hogs and deer and ducks and everything. And I was amazed one day at lunch whenever one of the local 
ranchers who leased out his property, just like we do down here for hunters to come in, you know, for an annual deer lease. He said, man, I'm so excited. I'm getting a delivery from where you're from. And I said, what are you getting a delivery on? He said, wild hogs. I said, dead or alive? He said, oh, they're alive. I said, why in the world? He said, we need something else to shoot at. I stopped right there in that cafe, and I begged that gentleman. I said, with every fiber of my being, please call that truck driver. Tell him to turn around. You do not want this problem. It's going to create more issue for you than you can imagine. A year later, I ran into him, and he said that he wished he would have never invited him. His neighbors wished he would have never invited him. Those hogs had taken root. No pun intended, but they had set up in southwest Oklahoma, right. and they were running roughshod on right. them. And so these pigs that, uh, you know, we talk, they've been historically with us. People have moved them around and a lot of different things. But you're sharing with me a, a research that y'all are doing in a place to do some intervention to, to push back against the hog damage in some of our wildlife areas we were talking about the marsh and the, the land degrading right. talk a little bit about that project that you were telling me about yeah there. what we're doing is 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 again to back in the matagorda county realm here is is like a lot of places across the united states we have a a very much a niche habitat for certain species mm -hmm. and and uh, and obviously waterfowl is is close to the heart of matagorda county so uh, one of the things that we have in, in Matagorda County are model ducks, as you're well aware of. Right. And, and we both know that that model duck trend, population trend, unfortunately is not going in a positive manner. No. And uh, and so we do a lot of banding of model ducks, or Texas Parks and Wildlife does a lot of banding of mm -hmm. model ducks in Matagorda County. And pigs are known through replicated research that they're known to depredate as much as 80% of those ground nesting clutches. So. Um, how many of those ground nesting clutches are we losing to wild pigs? So where can we really focus that, that attention? We know that that's a problem. Yes, raccoons yeah. are going to get a few. There's sure. going to be a few things that are out there, but those are endemic species that we've dealt with since and, this was established. So. And, and the model duck already has a limited area that, right. they, can, that they choose to reproduce right. and thrive in. Right. So any threat to that limited area just right. becomes that increasingly of... A concern. Well, you look at that threatened or endangered status, and that doesn't specifically mean just the species. It can. It also says the species and or its environment or habitat. Mm -hmm. So even though the population may be in a, a, a status or a level that's not deemed threatened or endangered, but you look in the trending um, patterns of what the habitat is doing, then as the habitat goes, what's going to happen to the species? Right. So that's that's something that we all we, we need to make sure that we're aware of because yeah, model ducks nest here, they raise their broods here, so sure. forth and so on. But this pig issue is a global problem, and 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 we definitely have our fair share of it here. And you 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 alluded to it perfectly there with the issue in in Oklahoma, mm -hmm. is. That transportation into Oklahoma, I mean, you know, whenever we hear old, old timers and folks say, yeah, whenever pigs fly, man, they didn't get there flying. That's right. So they, uh, they might have got there flying up Interstate 45 or something like that, yeah. but they didn't get there any other way. So They got there because somebody was making money on Exactly, the, on the and that's one of those things that we can look at the, the distribution of population across the United States, and there's pox and freckles and things of that nature of sustainable populations all over as you move north. As you, yeah. move north. Yeah. Uh, as you move north, well, how did they get to those pox and freckle ind indications on the map? That's transportation. Mm -hmm. And at the time, it very well 
still could have been very legal to transport or transport those animals there. Right. But now states have made law that it's against the law to transport those pigs across state lines. Uh, other states, Texas being one of them, in the state of Texas, it's against the law to transport a live wild pig on a public roadway. So if you want to catch him on your ranch and you want to go through ranch roads and so forth and so on and release him on the same piece of property, fine, by all means do so, but wait till after your psychiatric evaluation comes back to see if you should do that again. Yeah. So yeah. because, but if you go across the, the, the uh, a county road or you go across the highway to the other piece of property that you own across the highway, that's illegal, illegal transportation because you hit a public roadway. So, so legislation has been passed just to stop we have a problem in one place. Right. Don't spread it out so we have right. a problem in more than that right. one place. Well, in Oklahoma, I mean, that, that example you used was, was something that, that's not, wasn't new because even in, this United, or in, in the state of Texas, uh, we go back to the Depression. Yeah, we talked about the pigs had been in, in East Texas since early as, documented early as 19, or 18, sorry, 1670s or so. Um, populations were somewhat stable. Uh, just because of they were a mainstay in the in the food for families those were harvesting the wild they hog needed to it. put food right on the they table. needed it so whenever we got to the depression time at that time we had families that may have 10 12 14 15 kids in the family mm -hmm. they had large tracts of land they had a lot of livestock and crops well whenever the depression hit you had to trim the proverbial fat off of off of what you have to be able to sustain what you need. Right. Well, a lot of times livestock got kicked out to include cattle and, and, and pigs. And by kicked and out, so they meant open the gates open and let the them fend for themselves. And let Mother Nature take it. And take we'll them. go find one and, and, and that goes and to harvest the, to when the we heart. need one. Right, and that goes to the heart of the reason why for so many years they were called a feral hog because feral just refers to any animal that was at one time in its life a domestic species. So they were domestic, they were released, and as soon as that animal becomes able to sustain their life without human intervention mm. they now become a wild animal they're 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 i think they're well into the wild they're well into the wild they so we've had multiple generations that are now nothing but a wild species uh yes obviously still non-native invasive highly invasive species but that's where we're at right now and and so whenever the depression come along and you have lands that were measured in sections back in the day right also, a part of that depression, just like any other economic swings, you have people that have expendable income in their pockets. Sure. Well, with that expendable income, you're willing to pay for your habits. Well, you've got a piece of land and I want to come hunt on it. Well, I'm just going to lease your land from you. Yep. And I don't want to sit around the campfire and tell lies all the time. I want something to hunt. Right. Well, Texas landowners in the 1930s start transporting Russian boar into those Texas lands for shot opportunities. So we're talking 90 years ago. Yes. And those Russian boars were brought in. They weren't as good as the shots as they thought they were, and they didn't get them all. Right. So they have mixed in with the feral populations and the wild populations. And the, and the feral populations being a, a heavy impact, or heavy-sided on the domestic side. Yeah. Well, what do you, I mean, you go through the highways and byways of Matagorda County, you'll find some registered purebred stock here, but what yep. is most of the cattle that we have in Matagorda County? Crossbred. They're crossbreds. Why do we have crossbred stock? Because that hybrid vigor makes them more fertile, more productive, mm -hmm. more efficient. Well, whenever you have wild or feral stock that was already on the land and you've brought in a Russian boar of a completely different genetic, you basically, in an essence, there have created a hybrid stock. Mm -hmm. So now that's there, that carries that 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 hybrid vigor, so, that hetero, heterosis that you would 
see we in, just, in any other we production agriculture. In, we just intensified our problem. We did. Yeah, we did. Well, you know, you mentioned the, the model ducks, and yes, uh, I'm very familiar with the model duck banding, and they, they banded some of the marshes that we actually hunt on. But, you know, there's other species that get directly impacted by this pig. I can remember times in South Texas walking up on quail nest, right. and you could tell clear and well that it was wild hogs that right. got to that nest. I've seen a wild hog take out a rattlesnake. Right. And some will say, well, that might be a favor. Well, I know this, that rattlesnake's not going to make near as many rattlesnakes as that, you know, as that sow's going to make other pigs. What else are y'all finding in y'all's research just to help really grasp the, the far-reaching impact of this? What well, one of the things, I mean, I guess it goes back to, you, to that snake itself. The, all those those native species were put here for a reason. Mm -hmm. I mean, they felt they the balance feel that of the ecosystem. It, it is. It balances the ecosystem. Whenever you start taking out large portions of a species that are na that is native to an ecosystem, it throws everything else off kilter. Sure. So you'd think, okay, you took out that rattlesnake. Well, is that the only thing you fed on, or could it have been rat snakes? Right. Could it have been anything else? Well, what did that do to the rodent population? Right. All right, so there's there's a, a give and takes for everything. There's a there's a, a reaction or mm -hmm. a, a consequence for whatever sure. happens. So that's something that that whenever we look at what we have native here, not only are we losing just the native uh, biodiversity of what we have is here, we're also and and we're we're mainly focusing on something right now with a heartbeat. Okay, those those little deer fawns, those quail chicks, those right. duck right. ducklings, and so forth. The fragile but, wildlife. At but we haven't the early even stages. touched what the historical record says as far as what was here whenever the buffalo grazed all the way to the to the Gulf Coast. I sure. mean, as they go from central Canada all the way to the Texas Gulf Coast, they grazed on bunch grasses, native grasses, mm. wildflowers, and so forth and so on. Whenever those pigs open up that topsoil and they make some, some pretty good size holes in there, oh, yeah. typically what's going to respond and recover there now are going to be invasive plant species, well, and that's going to be a destruction to that biodiversity as well. You know, and... and the, the absolute best thing for any terrain is to let it be restored back to how God Absolutely. created it. And that natural balance from everything from salinities to species and diversity is beautiful. I even, back to that Oklahoma story, you know, there was guys there convinced that the rattlesnakes were not rattling as much as they used to because the wild hogs were being introduced to that area. Now, as one who walked many of those canyons and many of those pastures, checking my, you know, checking my cameras and going on quail hunts and everything else, I need a rattlesnake to rattle. Right. I stepped over a few of them that didn't make a sound. Right. And I just thought that was interesting that you're talking about when that invasive species steps in, it changes that whole ecosystem. It changes the whole balance of right. how that thing operates. And it, and it very well could be some validity to that with the rattlesnakes is because, you know, I mean, we know that those pigs are basically teach a billy goat what to eat. They're, mm -hmm. they're going to eat something no matter what. Um, they, they could very possibly um, draw their attention to a rattlesnake or something like that that sets itself apart. Right. Well, if that, say, that snake example, he that, that snake has genetics for quickly rattling mm -hmm. versus a snake that's 15 feet away that doesn't rattle at all. Right. Well, which one of them's going to make lunch? Yep. 
So with, then whatever's remaining is spreading their genetics forward. Sure. So there yeah, may be that, some that to that. memory that, code. I mean, and, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that's yeah. something that's always a concern, and I, and I agree with you. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of times there that, that, that I've been in those, those, those wild areas, and you just about step on a snake, and, uh, and, and he, never, he never lets you know he's there. Yeah. So, well, you know, there's one more species, because here on the Texas Gulf Coast, it's kind of become a crown jewel. Uh, I've, you know, I've done a lot of hunting and fishing down the Rockport area, and one of the, the things, if you've been to Rockport, it doesn't take long to hear about the whooping cranes. Right. Uh, we've seen them in their habitat down there. I've, I've, I've witnessed them in the refuges. They're a beautiful bird. They, the, the recovery is just phenomenal. But we're actually already seeing some whooping cranes show up in Madagascar County. Moving up the coast. And right. so... What is what is an, an unchecked hog population? What kind of threat does it even go to those very uh, endangered, coveted species? You know, yeah. What is well? What does that's that one do? of those things that 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 the reason why those birds are expanding, I guess, is multifaceted as well. But a habitat can only handle so many of a of a population, so much of a population before natural processes start start telling them, you know what, you, you gotta you gotta move out sure. on your own. So where they're moving up the coast toward the Matagorda County habitat is because that's the habitat most closely suited to what their needs are. Sure. So whenever we start thinking about that expansion of that bird that is trying everything it can do to recover, um, if their habitat is not there for them to be able to recover in the way that they need to, you, you're going to reach a plateau and you're going to sit there. And then one little hurricane later that comes through and wipes out the rest of that habitat, you yep. may lose the whole species again. So whenever they're moving up the coast the way that they are, yes, they're going to look for those specific habitats. And in Matagorda County and in much of the Texas Gulf Coast, that pig is going to be compromising that habitat mm -hmm. um, in a in a very efficient way. I mean, they'll they'll basically run that grid across that habitat and catch everything on there. Uh, now, the, and that's what with with bringing that up though is that one of the things that we we're in in some some uh, early stages of planning and implementation with the Matagorda Bay Foundation, the Texas Autobahn, uh, with uh, with a, a project looking at on Dog Island in, mm -hmm. here in Matagorda County is that there's a pretty healthy pig population on Dog Island. And also with Dog Island holds some pretty uh, necessary and, and, habitat. And these aren't the like the places you can go in the Caribbean where you swim with the pig. Right, you, no. You don't want anything nah, to do with nah, these. If you're swimming and this dude comes along, you may <laughs> want to swim a little faster. Yeah. yeah, you need to get away from that thing. But uh, but yeah, that's what they they uh, they're in these in these 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 bar barrier islands and not much there so i mean that teaches you how efficient a pig is really quickly that as harsh as the climate is on dog island with very very limited freshwater resources there uh for them to to proliferate the way that they have mm -hmm. well that's another concern that we're having and you talk about whooping cranes and that's big one of the big keystone literally a stamp species you can mm -hmm. find whooping cranes on the U.S. Postal Service stands, right. but there are so many other species that are all up and down our coastal uh, uh, habitats that depend on certain habitat to be able to to use for nesting areas, for to use for rookeries and so forth right. and so on. Depending on where we're at, and we you said that in in the opening uh, comments that Matagorda County is one of the the highest sought after birding oh, locations in the world. Uh, so depending on 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 the year. 27, 28 years uh, in a row, we've been the birding capital of the world, according to the Christmas bird count species wow. uh, list, uh, all but one year. 
So we do have the species here. So depending on the migration pattern, are they coming from Matagorda County going north? Right. Or are they coming from South America, coming across the Gulf of Mexico, right. and they're falling out in Matagorda County for the first available suitable habitat. Sure. So whenever you think of a, of a bird the size of a finch that's done made the flight that traversed the whole Gulf of Mexico, that little critter didn't have a whole lot of energy to start with. There's sure. just not a lot of biomass yeah. there. But whenever they have, it's been... I guess instinctively bred into them to do to, to make that migratory path mm -hmm. every year. Whenever we lose that habitat, we lose that species. Because so, right. and that's where we're looking yeah. at is yeah, you've got that 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 whooping crane. It's that everybody knows, everybody sees. But how many of those little smaller species that are out there that go un sure, unseen, so, unseen? And so what we're doing is we're we're trying to just expand the impact of our hog problem. Right. And even into just habitat destruction, it has yeah. so many impacts on all these other species. Right, right. Down, well, and that's up and it. Down the list. Well, and that's one of those things. One of the main functioning uh, components of a barrier island is obviously it's going to be a protection device from from inner city right. or inner inner uh, inland flooding from hurricanes and storms right. and things of that nature. Uh, pigs are known as a culprit of dune destruction. Yep. Uh, once those dunes have lost their efficiencies, the first big storm comes through, wipes the dunes out, and you lose your whole protection. There's there. no erosion control. Right, and none. And then we do know research has shown that, that along the, the nesting habitats for sea turtles and things of that nature, that pigs will dig up a sea turtle nest and sure. you'll lose the entire nest. Well, we already know mortality of sea turtles in a natural setting is astronomically high. Well, now you throw in a non-native yeah. species then you basically right. have wiped out succession of that sea right. turtle. And, and to go silent and neglect to do anything about this species, we're simply contributing to the problem. Absolutely. So and that's what we're saying. This is not, ju this is not just a, a farmer or a rancher or a right. wildlife manager's problem. This is a societal problem. So just to kind of bring this, this conversation to a pause, notice I didn't say an end because we could keep talking about this from right. Sundays. If you're on a, a hunting lease or you own property, I gotta encourage you have some really aggressive practices with hogs. Be be legal, be ethical, yes, but don't let them just walk and have their way with things because you will regret that. If you would like to to participate in helping keep these numbers down, man, give me an email. Uh, shoot me an email at texaspodcastingblast@gmail.com. We have outfitter connections that can put you in a helicopter and do it safely and ethically. We have folks that can put you with night vision scopes. I have a dealer that just opened up a brand new uh, product that is actually a pretty affordable night vision option. Uh, and they're just, they just got in their first inventory there. So if, if you want to equip yourself or, or want to just get, get in on a good trip like that, you know, let me know because I can, I can definitely get you in touch with the folks who can take care of you. We're going to take one more quick pause and then we're going to jump into one other area uh, that Aaron's been doing some work that you probably heard about, and we just want to give you some good information to understand what's going on with our white-tailed deer. Well, for this last segment here on Texas Podcasting Blast with Dr. Aaron Sumrall, our local, one of our local Matagorda County Extension agents, uh, just want to bring up one more topic because you probably heard about this. There's been news articles, and it's uh, you know it's nothing new, but it is a new bit of news that a white-tailed deer was found in Matagorda County that was positive for the CWD, the chronic waste disease in whitetail. 
This is something that if you're a whitetail hunter, I'm sure you've heard about this. You might have had a conversation about this. Aaron, could you just kind of give a, a brief summary of what the average whitetail deer hunter in, in and around Matagorda County, or for the whole state of Texas for that matter, what do they need to know to help work against this and what myths are there? Is, is there some good practical Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's the first thing that we were talking about there is that they need to be knowledgeable, need to know where to go to get the the appropriate resources, the appropriate information and so forth. So and always uh, when any any kind of questions or anything like that come up with the wildlife resources, get in touch with your local biologist for Texas Parks and Wildlife. They can Mm -hmm. give you Are those assigned by county. Yes, they are. Okay. They do have county. We have private lands biologists and we have public lands biologists. And those private lands biologists uh, are the ones that work with your private citizens and, 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 and will be your point of contact as a private citizen on your personal piece of property. But, but with that CWD thing, it's been around. Uh, first case was found in, in, uh, in Mule Deer in, in Colorado in 1967. Then it's been up in the Great Lakes region. It's been kind of scattered from place to place around the United States. It first was found in, uh, in, in Texas in 2012. Um, that uh, one of the myths is that this is a high fence or deer facility problem. That's not the case because the first case that was found in the state of Texas was found in a mule deer in the Trans-Pecos area, out in the arid part of the state of Texas. So nothing even exactly, close to a breeding facility. Yeah, that nothing close there, and even a pig trying to find a reason to move out of that part of the state. But <laughs> yeah. but that's something that that's where they was found, and and uh, and yeah, there's now there's some that are popping up in those those breeding facilities, or have been some popping up in those breeding facilities, and then. And with that deer market being what it is as far as economics are concerned, uh, there's a lot of folks that's got a lot of money invested into those deer facilities and so sure. forth, and, and, and obviously a lot of, lot of uh, opportunity there. And, and let me but, say this, a vast majority of them are doing it to the best of their ability underneath the legal and the ethical oh, and the right yeah, way. I, you think have there's, to, I think there's a mindset that they're the bad guy. No. They're, whether you're for them or against them, the majority of guys I've ever met in that industry, they are right. committed to doing it they're they're in it for the, the, the utmost way. animal husbandry because yes. some of those bucks and then even for that matter the does we don't measure those in, in hundred dollar or thousand dollars no. we measure them in tens of thousands yes. of dollars as far as value for one animal and the potential so, of right breeding, so that's so. it so whenever you start thinking about animal husbandry man that's paramount that's the first so, thing so, on it, there. It, so it, it's totally illogical to assign this to a breeding facility issue. right yeah it's not a breeding facility issue it's not one of those things that that somebody's going out there and making a conscious decision to say you know what i'm just going to mess up the whole ecological process so affiliated with white-tailed deer that's not the case right so there are permitting processes that are in place that they have to follow and they mm-hmm. have to comply with there are quarantine policies that have to be there uh that, that they have to adhere to but the problem with cwd is that an animal that's infected with cwd uh, can carry that disease for up to 12 months and never even show a symptom and that's a perfectly healthy animal that that may uh, be at your deer feeder in the fall and this going on about their business just like a deer would would be and it would be a carrier. So they're asymptomatic. No way. They're asymptomatic. That's an, that's a word that most sure Americans now know because yeah. of the pandemic. Yet it's highly contagious. Right. She is highly it contagious. is. It highly, it's highly contagious to the deer species. To the so deer, correct. The, on the, the human side of things, uh, as of to date, we really, well, there's no no cause for astronomical concern on the human side of things. Right. But but on the, the deer side, is the, the problem that we, we, we see is that in that year-long period of asymptomatic, I guess, goings-on of that deer, 
uh, how many other deer did they encounter? Right. How many other places, how many other, how much other acreage has been uh, uh, contaminated, I guess sure. if you want to call it that. And, uh, and now what is the possibilities that exist there? Because once a deer is found to, to, uh, to be uh, infected with CWD, unfortunately the only way to determine that is just through a, uh, a necropsy of that animal. It's, it's post-mortem. There's no testing. Right, there's no testing of live animals. Then a clarification. Right, there's no testing of live animals. There's no protocol for that. Uh, there are some tests that are being evaluated right now to determine if we can have a, a test available for live animals. Um, nothing has been approved as of yet. So the only way we can find out was that animal a carrier of CWD is, is after that animal is, has expired. Mm. Uh, so And they do that by pulling a, uh, the brain stem. So it's not going to get into your tenderloin or anything sure. like that. So that's, the, that's where we need to think about with this CWD deal is that okay? You you see a you see a um, an opportunity to manage some of your doe population on your on your property, and uh, do you need to be fearful of CWD? No. Do you need to be conscious and watch for symptoms of anything, anything out of the ordinary? Absolutely. And mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that that's CWD. It could be anything like that. Sure. Is, is that deer exhibiting any kind of uh, a symptoms uh, or, or uh, any any? Uh, irregular symptoms and whatnot so if that's the case then yeah we may need to do some testing right the the concern is there is like okay well CWD chronic wasting disease in itself whenever symptoms really start showing up they 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 do come on very rapidly um, it is an, a very emaciated animal uh, they have neurological problems they're not acting right they're not performing right they're 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 a lot of times they're in kind of a robotic mode that they just they don't function the right sure. way but whenever you're sitting there and and and, uh, and and you have the opportunity to, to harvest a few does off your piece of property or something for uh, to get that ratio back to where it really needs to be for Matagorda County which we do have a lot of does that we need to mm -hmm. get to that, that to that place is is monitoring for that disease in those hunter harvested animals uh, Texas Parks and Wildlife has a, a basically a number that they would like to get to in each county of the state of Texas to use as a sample population for CWD. Um, Texas Parks and Wildlife, if you go up and down Matagorda County roads and you see the big orange X on a deer that's been hit on the highway, that means Texas Parks and Wildlife is mindful of that deer. That doesn't mean you could pick it up and throw it on a pit. Um, so that deer also could have very well been a sample deer for CWD. Sure. Well, so, so in this program, there's a way that we can harvest our animals, right? Enjoy the animal, Absolutely. take care of the animal, and then once we're done processing it, or you know, it's at final destination like the law requires. Right. These are the tagged animals. What do we do? Well, one of the things, I mean, you get that successful hunt. Hopefully, it's your kid's first animal or something of that nature. Sure. Or get somebody newly introduced to the hunting industry or the hunting, the hunting um, uh, sportsmanship side of it. Yeah. Then. Spend the rest of the way the day, the weekend at the deer camp. Go yeah. in there and take care of your your family and keep enjoy the ice. Yeah, keep, keep it, in keep the it ice down and that no special treatments or anything like that. Right. I mean, you're going to have to have proof of sex of that animal to your final destination right. anyway. But if you have that opportunity to uh, to help out with that CWD monitoring, just get in touch with your biologist or your game warden or anything in that that and, county. And the only part they need is the head. Is the head right? So and so once you get your your, your your deer to where you're going to process and take care of it. Keep that thing in the freezer. Get in touch with the biologist. Right. Say I have an animal for right. research, and that's it. And, and they'll tell you if they need it or sure. if they met their quota sure. or, or however that was. And 
to me, that's just participating in the testing we have available, which is all right. done post-mortem. Well, and see, and that's one of those things you may say, well, you know what? I don't want them testing on any of my animals in my area because if it comes up positive, then, then they're going to depopulate the area. And, and, well, yeah, that's the unfortunately the only way that we're going to get ahead of that disease is to make sure that it stops where it is. Right. And, and the problem with that mindset is that, well, I don't want to participate because that's what I'm afraid of is that just because of your reluctance to participate in, in being a part of the solution, you may you're maybe being a part a of the major problem. problem. Exactly. Right. So at some point, CWD will be identified in that area if it's there. Right. Um, the way to identify it early is, yeah, it's going to be on one of those hunter-harvested healthy animals that, mm -hmm. that are asymptomatic. And, and you can help get ahead of that And instead of it being three-quarters of the county that may have to eventually be depopulated because of a rampant outbreak in it, we may have been able to catch that on a few hundred acres and, uh, and limit that, that spread. And so just to wrap this up, here we have one of our AgriLife Extension agents you know, telling us about all this stuff. How does the average Texan know who to contact in their area? Well, I mean, one of the things that what you're going to want to do is that, that if it's wildlife, you want to make sure that Texas Parks and Wildlife is on the top of your sure. contact list. Um, one of the things that, that's, that's excellent about what I get to do, obviously, I mean, I get to, to, to work with, with people. I get to be out and see where the, the issues are and their concerns are and help them find a solution in what they do. But what, what I do in day-to-day in -day activities and day-to-day -day efforts is that uh, I am the connection between the academia research world and the layman. Just so, like Dr. Dr. Todd Sink was absolutely. on episode four. <laughs> you know, he's the, the extension guy from the right. university out to everybody right. else. And that's it. There, there's, there's a plethora of research topics that sure. are being addressed right now throughout the world that may be applicable, applicable to Texas or to yeah. Matagorda County. So, so. Is there, is there a website? Is, where do they look for that information? Well, if they want to look for me or they want to look for extension, they can pull that up on the, on the Matagorda County uh, website, and it will okay. list the extension office. And it Just through the county website? Through the county website. Or wherever they live. Or wherever they, they live. If they want to do that, they can type in Brazoria AgriLife, yeah. and Brazoria AgriLife will pop up the Brazoria County uh, address. And the, I, just, I, I mentioned that because the roles of these agents, like yourself, is just to work with and help the public understand the wildlife the resources right. and let's do this together in the best right. way possible well and that's so. it i mean that's one of the the things is is that yeah i've been blessed with having the opportunity to get a phd in wildlife most of of, of agents across the state of texas they we all each have a niche of right. one form or fashion so it right. may be that yeah that you talk to your local agent and they'll either re recommend you to somebody like Todd Sink uh, sure. that's at College Station or they'll recommend you to we have two other specialists across the state that right. they may recommend you to those or if it's somewhere that's right here close then yeah they may recommend you to, to, to well, back to me. To well but the good thing but is that still folks get in touch with their local absolutely. person and absolutely. That, 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 that gentleman or that lady can help right. be part of that process and be right. part of that conversation and a relationship is developed. Right. Relationship is developed, and then not only are you educating the, the landowner or the taxpayer or whatever, you're educating several more yeah. in that process of trying to figure out what the right answer is. Well, man, I never thought I'd sit down and record 50 minutes on wild hogs, but <laughs> the fact is we've just been ignoring it for a little too long. Right. So I'm thankful for professionals like yourself and the departments you work with, the partners that are trying to dig into this. 
And let's all be part of the solution rather than just part Absolutely. of the problem. So, Absolutely. Thanks for, texting, uh, for choosing to listen to Texas Podcast and Blast today. Thanks for Dr. Aaron Summerall, who's become a real good friend of mine, to be on. And we, get, we encourage you to get outside of Snot Matagorda County, choose somewhere, and, and just be a part of enjoying this great God's creation. Look forward to the next episode, and we'll see you then. Take care. We're down Texas.